Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. For today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about AMC versus Universal, David Litch and Chad Saliski returning from Matrix 4, Slumdog Millionaire, and Life of Pi actor-director Efron Khan has sadly passed away. And then I'm going to be talking about uh, my top 10 favorite Robin Williams movies, and I'm even going to be doing an honorable mentions list because Rob, here's the thing. When you do top 10 lists, it's probably the most challenging and most fun thing that you can actually do when you're doing a top 10 list because you actually have to go through every single performance that actor has actually done and try and figure out which one was the best fi- the best films to actually put on that list. And sometimes one film might actually outshine the other because of the performances that they've done and therefore that, that film might actually be moved into another slot. But with this one, on the other hand, I have to say, I have to do an honorable mentions because he's just so well-grounded. When you know that he's in a movie, you know he's going to land that role 110%. He's a very universal actor where he can do just about anything that he does. Like, for instance, he can do romantic. He can do dramas. He can do comedies. He can do thrillers. He can do just about anything that he puts his mind to it. And that's what I love about Robin Williams. And, and another thing, too, before I start this episode is the fact that I know that I said I was going to be on the SEN Live after show, the, a Merc with a Movie Blog, and you can actually catch that on any type of podcasting app that you have, and Hotel Nerd and I were supposed to be on that show, but due to some scheduling conflicts and stuff like that, we're not able to get, be on that show for right now, but I think that it's going to be pushed back until June, so whenever I get more information on that, I'll let you guys know, but... Until until then, let's go on ahead and get on with the show. And by the way, I'm going to be doing this show solo. Tamika has some stuff that she had to take care of, and she'll be back with me tomorrow. And I, as a matter of fact, I actually want to want to get her take on this whole entire thing with AMC versus Universal. So that's what I'm going to be doing for tomorrow's podcast episode and some other stuff. Um, so anyways, let me go on ahead and get into this AMC versus Universal. So if you guys don't know, AMC is pissed off at Universal because of the fact that they released Trolls World Tour digitally and it made a hundred million dollars, believe it or not, just over the streaming services and stuff like that, that people actually rented and rented this movie. And I love the fact that it was a success. I love that whole entire aspect. But now there's a bunch of drama with AMC where they want to ban Universal from uh, Universal movies from their theaters. And here's the thing. The theaters is now clo- is closed still. So I don't get AMC's whole entire logic with that. And especially at the fact that, you know, AMC is a big old huge theater. It's a big old huge franchise. And 
They're also a billion dollars in the hole right now. So really, they actually need Universal right now. They're not in the condition to where they can actually say, you know what, we're going to ban your movies because of the fact that you released Trolls World Tour digitally. They're not in that condition to where they can be in, to where they said, you know what, we're going to ban them. We're comfortable. We got this and everything. That's going to be fine. But they're in a billion dollars in a hole. It'd be different if they actually had the money to actually say, you know what, we can take the hit and everything. We'll just ban their movies altogether. And in case you don't know what movies that they're banning and everything, that's going to be new. The new Candyman, you're not going to be able to see that in the AMC theater. You're not going to be able to see the new Fast and the Furious movie. You're not going to be able to see the new Jurassic World movie. You're not going to be able to see uh, The Purge, the new Purge movie that's going to be released. And you're not going to be able to see all these movies and, you know, and oh yeah, and another thing too is if you were interested in seeing the new Halloween Kills movie, you're not going to be seeing that either because Universal, because AMC is being a childish, kind of like saying, you know what, you can't play in our treehouse or anything like that because you did something bad. You're not going to be part of a little club or anything like that. So, you know what, we're going to ban you from our treehouse. And to me, I think that's a stupid way to actually go about this whole entire situation. I think there's other ways to go about about this. And I get the fact that they probably broke and breached a contract with AMC. But I feel like this. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they would work out some kind of deal in a couple of days or maybe next week. Because here's the thing. If they ban Universal from seeing from us seeing any type of movie from Universal with AMC. Here's the thing. You're not going to have the box office is going to be in shambles because they're actually depending on that box dollar, or that box office dollar. And not only that, but AMC is also a big old huge movie theater that actually needs money right now and also too they're making a lot of money as well. They they're making a lot of money and brings brings in a lot of people with their movie theaters. And for them to ban that, that is actually stupid. You do not do that during this time, and especially during this pandemic. And not only that, but how do you go about banning new movies? I mean, come on. You're going to be showing old movies and everything that Universal put out or what? What's the deal with that? To me, it just doesn't make any sense on why AMC wants to do this or anything like that. Maybe, this is me speculating, I think there's a way that they can actually come out of this on top, where it's like, where Universal say, you know what, we made $100 million off of Trolls, Trolls, and you know what, since we already, since you make a third of, since we make a third of what uh, movie theaters brings in, we'll give you half of that, and... On top of that, off of the Blu-ray sales and off of the digital sales as well that we actually made during the coronavirus and give you at least half of that. Or maybe some other type of number to where everything will come out even and have everything balanced to where you guys can actually show our movie in theaters. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't try and sit down and try and solve this thing. Because here's the thing, the box office won't come out even. And also, too, the movie studios also spend a crap load of money to actually get their budgets in line and they're not even going to meet the budget that they actually need to make and everybody forgets this that this is actually a job for people this is actually 
taking food and bread out of people's mouths and stuff like that. We, as fans, only see things on the screen and that's it. We don't look at it as a business perspective. And, you know, as a business perspective and everything, we should actually take in consideration that we should care about certain things like the box office and things like that. Because if we don't go see a certain movie, if we don't see something like that, it could actually ruin the chances of maybe a possibly a sequel. It could ruin the chances of the studios losing money and stuff like that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't uh, shouldn't see a crappy movie or anything like that. But bottom line is, you know... You should actually care just a little bit at the fact that this is actually happening because of what's going on with AMC wanting to be complete douchebags. And not only that, but, you know, I get the fact that you have other movie theaters that you can actually go to. You don't have to go to AMC. But the whole entire fact is they're just being childish about this situation. I feel like that they can actually reach some kind of deal probably this week or next week. But that's just me looking at it. From that kind of perspective. But tell me what you guys have to say about that. Because I'm kind of curious about what you have to say. Because this whole entire thing with AMC versus Universal. I, I just don't get it. I really just don't get that situation. But anyways. Let me go on ahead and drop down to David Litch and Chad Stalisky returning for Matrix 4. Now, here's the thing. I'm, I love the Matrix franchise. I love the first film and even the second film. The third film, not so much. But I love Keanu Reeves as Neo. I love the storyline uh, in sci-fi and the originality behind the first two films. And you know what? To actually have the choreographers back for this movie, it actually makes sense because they actually been there before. They know what this Matrix movie actually looks like. And they also know what to expect with Neo, how he moves, how he actually does the whole entire uh, Kung Fu stuff and stuff like that and the stunt work. So to have them two back on the set again for The Matrix is just fantastic. It actually brings a smile to my face to know that the original choreographers are actually going to be doing the next uh, Matrix 4 movie, it just brings a smile to my face. It makes me geek out a little bit. It makes me excited. It makes me feel pumped up to know that, you know, we actually have two people that knows this franchise, knows what they're doing, and to have them in there, I'm all for it. And I'm actually excited to see what this Matrix movie is going to be about. Is this going to connect with John Wick? Is Neo actually John Wick? I don't know. Maybe they might actually connect the universes. Who knows? But... This, this is something just something I love, knowing that you actually are safe with the fact that you're bringing two people back onto a major franchise like The Matrix, and they know what they're doing. So, having those two choreographers, I'm all for it. Tell me what you guys have to think about that. And then, with some sad news, Slumdog Millionaire and Life of Pi actor, director has passed away, Efron Cohen, and here's the thing, he had cancer, and I just feel bad that someone was suffering for a long time with this cancer that he actually has, and, you know, I remember whenever I saw him on Jurassic, on Jurassic World, 
the Fallen Kingdom and everything. I just liked his character, even though he was a little despicable and stuff like that. But, you know, I really liked him, liked him as a person because he was actually pretty much the first person to actually bring some other type of diversity into the film world we, where we actually had Slumdog Millionaire. And no one would have thought that they would actually bring some diversity into Hollywood like that. And what he did was just great with uh, Slumdog Millionaire. I really thought that he was a really good down-to-earth person based off what I saw in interviews and things like that. And for him to die of cancer, it just sucks, you know? And I wish that he didn't pass away of cancer or anything like that. I wish he was still with us. But, you know, these kind of things happen, and it makes me sad that he's no longer with us. So let's go on ahead and talk about my top 10 Robin Williams movies. So... Like I mentioned before, I'm going to be doing some honorable mentions. And the reason why I'm doing some honorable mentions is because of the fact that Robin Williams is such a great actor. So, honorable mentions, Dead Poet Society. It's just one of those movies that took place during that time where you can actually relate to maybe a character. Or not a character, but you can relate to a teacher that actually cares about their students and puts in the hard work with their students and teaches them and actually teaches them about literature, about poems, about life. And Robin Williams fit the bill for that. Robin Williams did such a great job pulling in his dramatic chops in that movie. And then also, too, when he stands up on that desk and then the students are doing it with him, it's just fantastic. I mean, that movie will actually pull in your heartstrings the dramatics with it it will tear you apart pull on your heartstrings man dead poet society is just one of those movies that you can just sit and watch over and over again even though it pulls you into that whole entire dramatic realm and everything it it's just something special that we don't see that much nowadays in film where we can actually care about some of the characters that we actually see and also, too, I know people love to relate to certain characters. And, you know, sometimes it's actually hard nowadays with some movies where you can actually relate to a certain character or it makes you think of a certain person. And to me, having Robin Williams in that teacher role reminds me of a teacher that I once had and everything and how much of an impact he had on me. So I was so I'm able to relate to this even now as an adult and folk and it brings into some life on how I used to be as a teenager and not taking things so seriously. And then all of a sudden a teacher winds up having a dramatic in, impact on you. So I think that Dead Poet Society is just one of those movies that is really great. So check out Dead Poet Society if you haven't seen it. I strongly recommend it. So, another movie that I want to say that's an honorable mention for me is, this is actually my childhood, man. This is actually one of those movies that I really love and enjoy. Matter of fact, it's on Netflix right now. That movie is called Hook, and there's no movie like Hook. And Steven Spielberg and Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams did such a great job in that film because it was a different spin on Hook. It was a different spin on Peter Pan. And I love the fact that they didn't do the whole entire thing where Peter Pan's a kid and then he's turn is a kid and he's in Neverland the whole entire time and things like that. I love the fact that they actually did something different rather than the same rehash of stuff. 
And as a matter of fact, even in Pan and some of the, and then also too, they are, they did a uh, remake not too long ago of Peter Pan as well, besides Pan. <clears throat> and I just didn't really care for that, those films as much as I thought I would. And what Steven Spielberg was able to do was just make us use our imaginations, make us think, make us wonder what would it be like for Peter Pan to be a, an adult with kids <coughs> and having to travel back to Neverland to take down Hook once again because he has his kids. And then also Hook also has Peter Pan right where he needs him now because there's actually some weakness with him besides the Lost Boys and Wendy. Now he has kids, so therefore Hook is actually brainwashing his kids, making them backstab him and everything else. And then Peter's actually for, forgot who he, who he is. And it goes into the whole entire origin story of how he was adopted. I thought this film was great and creative. And Steven Spielberg did a great job at bringing us back into Neverland. And, and also, too, giving us a Peter Pan character that we never seen before as an adult and then him having to flash back to the times that he was also a kid in Neverland as Peter Pan and even though Jack even though Peter Pan doesn't remember who he is or anything like that when he does re start remembering and having his memory back and everything that's when every the whole entire showdown actually goes down and I thought the chemistry, <coughs> the chemistry between Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman was just spot on. Dustin Hoffman was definitely menacing. He was definitely creepy. He was definitely all the things that you don't want to to mess with Captain Hook on. And then also, too, the whole entire comedic thing between him and Smee was really good. I still remember when... Uh, Captain Hook wants to go ahead and kill himself because he's so depressed. And Smee, he's telling Smee, don't make me do it, Smee. Don't make me do it. Don't make me, don't make me pull this trigger. And then all of a sudden, Smee's trying to talk. And he goes, make, uh, he goes, uh, he goes, help me, Smee. Help me, Smee. And all of a sudden, he tries taking the gun away from him and everything. And all of a sudden, he fires the gun. And... There's that whole entire element of of something that's actually comedic and also kind of dark as well and humorous to something that's actually supposed to be kind of childish. So I actually like that whole entire thing. And then also, too, the Lost Boys where Rufio had the most... I'm going to be honest with you. I actually cried my eyes out when Rufio actually died when I was a kid because there was a whole entire emotional attachment to the characters that I actually loved about Rufio. He was supposed to be this tough kid who does, didn't believe in Peter Pan. He thought that all he needed was himself and he he wanted to have the respect of the Lost Boys still. And as soon as Peter came into that scene and everything and overshadowed Rufio, that's when he knew he didn't have the Lost Boys anymore. And... I really loved the whole entire movie and the whole entire aspect of what they did. Then, of course, you know, you also have uh, the crocodile that's in, in the movie, too, which he winded up having a clock stuck in his mouth, and he's also a statue now. So, you know, th those were just some of the things that I really loved about it and the things that will actually pull you into this movie. So if you haven't seen Hook... Check that movie out. It's on Netflix. It's playing. It's got Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell. It's got Dustin Hoffman in it. It has the guy from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Or the guy who played Eddie. I forgot um, the act actor's name. But check it out. I think you guys might actually get a kick out of it if you haven't seen it.
So those are going to be my two honorable mentions, and now I'm going into my top ten list. Now, this is going to be one of my favorite movies, and for the simple fact is, I always wanted to be a DJ and a disc jockey, and, you know, working... Matter of fact, this is actually one of those movies that made me want to do what I'm doing right now. And also, too, being a disc jockey, which, I've actually, which I actually did before. But anyways, long story short, my favorite movie, starting off at number one, is Good Morning Vietnam. And what I love about this is the fact that for a couple of minutes, for a couple of hours... If you're in the army and you're listening to music and it's a disc jockey, I want it to be Robin Williams. Because he'll make you forget about your problems in a couple of hours when you're going through something in the Vietnam War. And he'll put a smile on your face. He'll do impressions. He'll do just about anything to help you forget about your problems. But another thing, too, that I liked about this film was the fact that, you know, he is also this character that believes in telling full actual reports. And when this actually, I'm going to be honest with you. Whenever he gets a report in this movie, he wants, he, he knows he can't, does, isn't supposed to report the whole entire thing because it might actually cause panic or there might be somebody on enemy lines that might actually be listening to it. But there was something that happens in the film to where he winds up reading that whole entire thing. Because he just doesn't want to censor himself anymore because of the events that happened whenever he was in the Jeep with this other guy. And I'm just going to be honest with you, that was also heartbreaking to actually see what happens with that scene. And then they try to cover it up, trying to make it make it to where it may not cause panic among the rankings of the army and things like that. And like I said, it goes into the whole entire realm of censorship and about how the army and radio stations tried to actually cover something up. And a matter of fact, they actually had to go ahead on the movie. And what they'll do is they'll t- they took a Sharpie and they winded up crossing that crossing off the rest of it, which is the bad stuff and only focusing on the good stuff. Not like we don't see that now today, but <laughs> anyways, I love the fact that Robin Williams didn't want to take no for an answer. He winds up standing up for himself. And in the end, by the end of this film and everything, you feel so much of an impact on Robin Williams' character. You love his character. You can't get enough of his character or anything like that. And, you know, I really like Good Morning Vietnam. And like I said, it inspires, it actually inspired me to be a disc jockey and it inspired me to actually do what I love doing right now, which is talking about movies. And, you know, I think that you guys will actually like Good Morning Vietnam. I know that it may not have aged well or whatever over the years, but it's still such a great movie. Robin Williams has this way of actually making us like movies, even though they're a little bit older now. And it's, it may not have aged well, but it makes Robin Williams's performance alone makes you care about this film and makes you care about the characters, makes you care about the war that's going on in Vietnam and makes you also too focus in on the characters. And 
wondering if these soldiers are actually going to make it home in peace. And even if they don't, at least they actually have a chance to just listen to some music, listen to Robin Williams do some comedic stuff for just a couple of hours, just for a day, just to forget about the war for a little bit. And that's what I love about it. It's just, it's heartwarming. It's also got some dramatic shops into it. It also has some comedic stuff into it. So if you haven't checked out Good Morning Vietnam, I strongly recommend you guys actually check that out. So now <laughs> I'm going to be talking about Goodwill Hunting. And speaking of dramatics, I mean, I thought this film was just really good. And as a matter of fact, I think it won like an Academy Award as well. But if you don't know what Goodwill Hunting is, it's got Matt Damon in it. And Matt Damon plays this really smart genius who's good at calculus, who's good at math. And Robin Williams is there to help him through his life, just about. And he's actually his psychiatrist. And... The dramatic stuff that him and Matt Damon do together, well, like I said, and the other, uh, the other uh, thing with uh, the Poet Society, you know, he, uh, this movie will pull on your heartstrings just like on that kind of level, because of the fact that you know he cares about Matt uh, Matt Damon, he cares about his future, he cares about the fact that he shouldn't be wasting his time being a janitor, He and he just needs to get out of the town that he's actually in, and just focus on his life, and I feel like, you know, that was just something that actually gravitated me into that whole entire realm of Goodwill Hunting, and even... Um, Ben Affleck's in this movie too and he's concerned about his friend as well because his friend's also going through some stuff in this movie and he cares about his friend he also doesn't want him to be doing the same thing that he always does or anything like that as a matter of fact he even pointed it out he said one day I would love for me not to have to come over to your house and you not be here and he, because of the fact he knows that a will has a talent for things. He knows that he's meant for so much more. And he's there's this level of concern for him. He's a, And not only that, but Matt also brings in uh, a lot of comedic stuff with it too. Dramatics with this movie. And Robin Williams as a psychiatrist. And then also too, you also dive into a little bit of Robin Williams' background as well as a psychiatrist and also with his background with his wife about some of the details with that. If you, and like I said, if you haven't seen Goodwill Hunting, you're missing out on a great classic movie because that during that time, nobody was thinking this is going to be a classic movie, especially in the nineties and especially with a young Ben Affleck, I'm at Damon. And this was the dynamic duel between the two of them being on the screen together. And you can't get as good as a performance that you can with Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and then you also have Robin Williams thrown into this movie, into the mix. This movie is just phenomenal when you look at it. Like I said, it's got drama, it's got comedy, it's got a love story in it, it's got a little bit of everything for everyone. So if you've even seen Goodwill Hunting, I strongly recommend that you guys actually check out Goodwill Hunting because I think that you guys are cheating yourself out of not out of seeing a good movie. If you don't haven't seen it. Then I'm getting into my number three. And my number three is Bicentennial Man. If you do not know what Bicentennial Man is, it's a it's got Sam Elliott, I think I think that's in it. 
and also the little girl from the Pepsi commercials back in the 90s. And basically, they wind up buying a robot, that uh, an AI, to help them around the house. Kind of like a Alfred Butler that's kind of, uh, that's a robot. And so... This each robot is supposed to be going on commands. It's kind of like Johnny Five from Short Circuit, but anyways, the robot's journey is this: he wants to be human. He wants to know what it's like to be human, and that's what I love love about this though too. This movie has heart in this movie. It has comedy, drama, and has all the things that you need. All the makings of a great movie, and you know. He sees everybody. He sees everybody um, from the time that they were little to the time when Sam uh, Neil, that's it, Sam Neil, was young, and also his wife was also young, and seeing them get older and growing old, and then seeing the little girl grow up, and teaching the little girl to play piano too as well, and he wants to know what it's like to be human, and he wants to be able to fit in with society as well to the point where he wants to be human. So he goes on this journey and for him the journey is just he's been away for like maybe a year or maybe not even a year, maybe a couple of days, but really he's been away longer than what he's supposed to be. And you know, he actually meets somebody that it can actually make him human. And you know, I love the I love the chemistry between the two of those, uh, between Robin Williams and the guy who's trying to make him human. It actually gives you some liberty on what he's trying to do to help him. And you know, he says, "Look, you can I can give you this for right now, but you're gonna have to come back later on in a couple of day, uh, days or a couple of uh, year or so, so the way we can actually get you some more stuff that's that I can actually help to upgrade you." And I love that whole entire round where he wants to be human. He wants to know what it's like to fit in. And then also, too, it pulls on your heartstrings because of the fact that he he's grown attached to this family for so long. And he's even wondering, what do I do now, even after they're gone? Even when this family is said and gone and he doesn't age. And he's wondering, what's what's life really about? Outside of this robotic body that I have, can I be human? Can I fit into society? What's it going to be like if I'm human? And I love the fact that this film makes you question things from a robotics kind of point of view. And it even goes in hand to hand with even being human about how to actually fit into this world, even though we might actually feel like we're outcasts with other people. And this movie is really good for just about anybody for all ages. I strongly recommend by Satanial Man. And, you know, by the end of this film, you're crying because of the ending, the way it ends. But it also ends on a happy note because of the fact that with Robin Williams' character and everything, what he wants to do, what he set out to do, and the way it ends... It ends on a happy note for Robin Williams. And it ends on a happy note for the AI. And I think that you guys might actually enjoy this film. Because every single time when it comes on DirecTV and everything. I just have to sit there and I have to watch this film. Because of the fact that it's just one of those films that you know you have to sit down and watch. 
because of the performance that uh, Robin Williams actually gives. And it makes you care about this robot, this AI that's trying to fit in with the world. So if you haven't seen by Satanial Man, I recommend that for you guys to watch. I don't know if it's on any streaming services of right now, but if you haven't seen it, check it out. I, you guys are doing yourself a favor if you do. And then for num- my number four, it's a movie called Patch Adams. And Patch Adams is about this guy who checks himself into a mental institution because of the fact that he was having some suicidal thoughts. And some people also thought he was also crazy. So he winds up checking himself into this mental institution. And then once he winds up finding out that he wants to help people and wants to do something for that, for the mental patients and everything. As a matter of fact, he even thought he was even a doctor inside this whole entire mental institution as well because of the fact that he was talking to actual physically talking to the mental patients as well that have these disorders. And I love that whole entire aspect where, you know, they even he even calls doctors out on their own BS as well. It's like, no, you're not listening to them. You're not talking to them. You're not focusing in on what they're trying to tell you. And then, you know, he decides to set out and do his own thing, which is to become a doctor. So he checks himself out of the mental institution. And you know what? I still love this line. And he says, I don't give a rat's ass. I-G-R-A. I don't give a rat's ass. because they said, well, you can't leave here because you checked yourself in. He goes, I did check myself in and I can leave. I-G-R-A, I don't give a rat's ass. So in other words, he doesn't care what what they have to say. He's still going to leave. He's still going to do what he has to do to try and become a successful doctor. And there's nothing that he can do because he checked himself in by law. By law, if you check yourself into a mental institution or anything like that, you can leave because of the fact that you checked yourself in. And so anyways, he sets out on this journey to where he wants to become a doctor. And there's also uh, Seymour Hoffman in this movie. And he gives he gives Patch Adams hell throughout this whole entire college career because number one, Patch Adams is a smart guy. He doesn't study for tests. He doesn't do any type of study hall or anything like that. He pays attention in class. He focuses in on his professors. He's passionate about what he does. He's caring about what he does. He wants to do what's right for his patients. And he's also getting shit on because of the fact that they think he's a slacker. He thinks that he's stupid. He thinks because he does all these voice impressions, he does these comedy bits and everything else in this in this movie to the point where they think that he's just overly joyed and happy. But, you know, and then I like the other thing, too, where he goes into this place where these kids are at and... <clears throat> They have cancer. So he tries to cheer them up by making them laugh. <coughs> As a matter of fact, I love the part where he actually takes something and actually puts that as his nose. And then he takes a bedpan and uses the, the two bedpans as clown shoes. And he's just going at it. He's just making these kids laugh. And then <coughs> you have this one strict nurse that just comes into the room. And... 
basically is real strict. And as soon as uh, she comes in, that's whenever he just goes on ahead, takes off the nose, takes off everything and just walks away. And there's just total chaos in that whole entire cancer room because these kids are just overly happy with the fact that someone is actually taking time with them instead of treating them like victims and just treating them like human beings. And that's all they wanted. They just wanted to feel love. They wanted to feel some type of laughter, some type of entertainment with them. And that's exactly what they got. As a matter of fact, I love, my favorite part was with the skeleton. He winds up saying, Donner, party of five, because the Donners want, are were cannibals who winds up eating each other during the whole entire um, winter storm. And I just thought that scene just made me bust out laughing because of the way that Robin Williams was able to actually do that. And you can actually tell some of the stuff was actually improv. And then there's even this one part where he actually has these legs sticking up out of this building to make it look like a female uh, female. And then in the doors, it's supposed to be like the vagina. And he winds up telling them, come on in, come on in. It's a little bit slippery. I just thought that that was funny as well. And then also too, there's actually this other character that comes in when they're actually doing some type of doctoring whenever they're not supposed to be doing any kind of doctoring at all. And some stuff winds up happening with Patch's girlfriend. And it just brings tears to your eyes with the dramatic effect with that whole entire with that part part of the movie and then like i said before i mean patch adams is just about this guy who's just passionate caring loving calls doctors out on their own bs because there's this other doctor who's actually the professor of this of this college and he does not like patch either and you know he wants to do anything and everything to try and get rid of patch and you know what? He tells him, why don't you listen to your patients? What's this patient's name? The patient doesn't have any. Yes, he just this patient has a name. It says it on their chart. And I love that, though. They don't he didn't treat them like a John Doe or anything like that. He treated each patient like a patient, like a human person. And this movie's just fantastically well done, perfectly well executed all the way through this whole entire movie. You're wondering if Patch is actually going to graduate from college. Is he going to get kicked out of college? What's going to happen to him if you haven't read anything up on Patch Adams or anything like that? You don't know what the outcome actually is until you actually get to the move, the end of the movie. But this movie was re is really good. Still holds up today. I strongly recommend Patch Adams. I think that you guys are going to actually enjoy that film. For my number five... I have Billy Crystal and Robin Williams in the movie Father's Day. And basically, it's this woman who winds up telling the, telling the both of them that they're the father of this little of this teenage kid who's falling around Sugar Ray, who and he's actually a groupie, falling around Sugar Gray, Sugar Ray, and she wants to have him back. And of course, this is also in the events of well, it doesn't take place in the events of Father's Day or anything like that. It just calls it Father's Day because of the fact that they're both fathers and it's happening during a time and day where they actually have to come together to try and find this kid that's lost. And Robin Williams plays a guy that's actually afraid of heights, doesn't like flying, <laughs> he's nervous all the time, 
he's really he's really one of those guys that you don't want to even associate with in a certain sense because of the fact that how bad his anxiety actually is. And then Billy Crystal, on the other hand, is uh, plays this one guy who just wants to be the best parent that he can possibly be. He just finds out that, you know, that there's a possibility that this kid might be his. So he winds up going over to this one person's house to try to find out if they've seen this seen uh, this teenage kid. At the same time, you have Robin Williams that's um, holding up the same identical picture, and the person at the door is like, this got to be some type of joke. Next thing you know it, they're going on an adventure to try and find out where their son is, what's going on with their son, if they're both the father of, their, of this kid and everything as well. And they both had the best intentions for their for this kid because of the fact that they just want the best for him. And they go out of their ways and through every single blinks and boundaries just to try and bring this kid back home to his mother. And, you know, when you think that this kid, uh, they're going to bring this kid back, something winds up happening. They go to Vegas. He winds up getting into some trouble in Vegas. The kid does. Then, of course, there's also another thing, too, where Billy Crystal's headbutting uh, people in a crowd to get to his uh, to this kid um, and everything during a Sugar Ray concert and headbutting security officers. Then you also have Robin Williams, who's also a schizo, who's also afraid of flying and everything, too. And basically... He actually, in a, in a certain sense, I want to say too, and I'm going a little bit deep on this, and I want to say maybe the kid even changes Robin Williams and even Billy Crystal in a way that's actually positive as well because the things that they um, Robin Williams was actually scared of ends up shaping, peeling some layers off in a certain sense as you go throughout the movie. But you can definitely tell that he's actually scared of flying and things like that. Then they actually go into the whole entire fact as well. You see this hair right here? The, the, the hair looks just like my hair. Oh, really? Okay, well, his toe looked like my toe. And they go into a whole entire competition of who might be the father. And they're facing off against each other when they're supposed to be working together. And it's just a all-out funny comedy. It has a little bit of drama, dramatic stuff in it and whatever, but not much. This is just a full-blown comedy that is just funny just to watch. And it's actually underrated. Nobody has really seen Father's Day or anything like that, at least to my knowledge. And I strongly recommend that you guys actually check it out because of the fact that I like introducing people to new, new films that they may not, may not have seen. And I think... Father's Day is highly underrated if you haven't seen it. Number six, I have the movie Aladdin. And here's the thing. I remember going to the movie theaters as a kid to see Aladdin. And when Aladdin rubs that lamp and then all of a sudden, poof, here comes the genie. And the genie's doing all these things in the Cave of Wonders, singing the songs. And then he's getting on the magic carpet right to give him a ride out of there. And stuff like that. And I really love what Robin Williams did with the genie. Because the genie could have actually been very one-dimensional with it. And things like that. Even with him doing those 
bits that he was doing where you could definitely tell it was improv, especially whenever he goes ahead and uh, gives Aladdin the name of Prince Ali or Prince Abu, Prince Abu. And he goes into the measurements. He goes in through that whole entire realm of stuff. And then he winds up, he cares for Aladdin. He loves Aladdin. This movie has so much heart built into this animated movie during the 90s. And Genie is one of those characters that just will pull you in. And it's the most iconic character that he's played. Um, played aside from Mrs. Doubtfire. And Genie has so, has so much light to Aladdin. As to Aladdin, yeah, he's happy and things like that. But at the same time, Aladdin is also one of those characters. Every single time when he thinks something is good, it's going to happen. Life winds up uh, taking him down a little bit. Takes him down a little bit. But, you know, Aladdin is just a great family movie. And it'll move you, the songs, the chemistry... The light that uh, Robin Williams brings to the genie uh, in Aladdin's Darkness is just phenomenal. And, you know, it just goes to show, too, on the links that you would do to be with someone that you have a crush on or love. And that's what Aladdin did. He was in love with Jasmine enough to do just about anything that he could think of to be with her. And then Jafar, the most villainous person that you can think of wants to use the genie in a bad way to whatever that benefits him rather than what's in his heart which his heart is very dark and everything compared to where Aladdin is Aladdin's is full of light in a certain aspect but also kind of dark at the same time because of the fact of how he lives out on the streets he doesn't have anything all he has is the all he has is the clothes off on his back and that's the whole entire thing. You want to see this underdog achieve the princess. You want to see the genie uh, give Aladdin those three wishes and to help him and to guide him and to mold him into the prince that he needs to be. And also a form of friendship between the two of them. The friendship between the two of them is really great. And you know what? I think that this film I think I've always loved Aladdin Aladdin just has this thing that just puts me puts a smile on my face so if you haven't seen Aladdin I recommend Aladdin well of course you've probably seen Aladdin it's a classic but anyways Aladdin is just a great film and it's a fun film it's a family film so that's, that's what I recommend and then the movie Jack is a really great film as well because it's mixed in with some drama, it's mixed in with some comedy, and it's about a guy, about a ten year old kid who's trapped in a thirty year old body, and it kind of reminds you of a person, an adult who wants to go back to being on that kid level to where he's actually. Let me think here. Let me think of the line that I'm thinking of, where basically. They want to be a kid again. And you're only as young as you feel. But with Jack, he ages faster than the normal kid. So he's like 30 years old in a 10-year-old body. So he's 
gets to do a lot of things, adult things that 10-year-old kids don't get to do. And matter of fact, his, uh, his mom and dad keeps him out, locked up in this, um, well, they don't keep him locked up, but basically he's isolated from everything. So the way people don't mess, kids don't mess with him because of his age and his whole entire uh, thing. But I love the whole entire aspect with Bill Cosby at that time because this is before we even found out about some of the stuff that he actually did. But the chemistry between Robin Williams and Bill Cosby with the two comedians actually works out really good. You can actually believe that Robin Williams was a 10-year-old kid who actually ages faster than when he's supposed to age. And also, too, even though he's a 10-year-old kid, he doesn't feel like he's 10. He feels like he's 30 and... You know, he has a crush on his teacher and he wants to go out on a date and a dance. And he, and the teacher tells him no, which is played by Jennifer Lopez. And it just hurts him because of the fact that, you know, he doesn't feel normal. Even with his own friends or whatever, he kind of feels like that he's actually kind of like the outcast to where, you know, he wants to feel the same thing that a normal 10-year-old feels. And he knows that if he winds up being get, going out on a date with... Or going out on a dance floor with a teacher will make it look like he's more of, more of his age because that's because he's thirty years old, and I really love that whole entire aspect. And then you also have Fran Dresser in this movie who plays his best friend's mom, and the, <laughs> Fran Dresser is actually pick, trying to pick him up, and he's, he's pretending to be the principal, and I thought that actually worked pretty well. I really love Jack. It has a lot of heart into it. And then especially at that graduation speech is probably one of my favorite speeches that Robin Williams has done since Dead Poet Society because of the fact it's so relatable. But that's just my opinion on the way I'm looking at it. But Jack is just a fun-filled movie where you're tr- where a kid that's 10 year- that's 30 years old trying to fit in well, not 30 years old, but a 10-year-old kid in a 30-year-old body and having friends. And, you know, it brings out the kid in you. It makes you laugh. It makes you smile. Jack is just one of those special movies that you can just sit down, relax, and enjoy for a couple of hours or whatever. So check out Jack. And a matter of fact, you can actually stream that on Disney+. Plus. They might actually edit out a couple of things here and there because of the language or whatever. But it's definitely worth checking out. So check that out. And then number eight, I actually have Jumanji. And Jumanji is one of those movies that is special to me. Because during that time, we didn't have no internet to where we can play with different people around the world. We didn't... Well, we did have internet, but it was very slow internet. You can pretty much go to the store and come back and you might actually have a page. Opposed to now where everything is just fast paced, fast moving. And this is actually about a board game rather than a video game or anything like that. And matter of fact, board games was big during my time in the 90s. And Jumanji is about this guy who gets this kid who winds up getting sucked into the board game and after so many years of being in that board game he's now let go let loose because of the fact that these two uh, these two kids one's played by Christian uh Christian Stewart I think not not Stewart but Christian Dunst there we go and her little brother they play Jumanji and 
what winds up, ha- whatever you roll, whatever that little glass thing says, that's what winds up happening outside of the game. And so Robin Williams winds up coming out of the game after being in there for like 30 years, being in the jungle. And so anyways, he winds up coming out of the game and now they have to play the game that they played 30 years ago, including with his high school, well, with his crush that he had back in the 60s. And now they are all playing again. And I love the fact that it was relatable back then because of the fact that you're playing with a group of friends, playing this, playing board games and having just a good time with your friends. And then, you know, of course, there's also this hunter that comes out of the game as well. That's actually played by uh, Robin Williams's father uh, that plays Robin Williams' father in the movie. And I thought that was actually pretty cool how they actually incorporated that part. And then you have rhinos, you have stampedes, you have monkeys, you have all this stuff going on in this movie. There's really not that much dramatic stuff actually happening other than the fact that it's been 30 years since they uh, since he actually played in the game and he was sucked into the game for 30 years. And he comes out, he doesn't know what year it is. <laughs> and, you know, it just, and of course he's actually acting a little bit differently than when he's supposed to be acting because he's been stuck in that game for so long. And everything when you first see um, Robin Williams in that coming out of that game. But the movie is just fantastic. And if you haven't seen Jumanji or anything like that, then you must be under a rock. Because it's a, such a classic movie. It's such an iconic movie. <clears throat> and I really have to say... Jumanji is a great time. You're going to enjoy this film. Go on ahead and check out Jumanji whenever you have a chance. And then number nine, I have One Hour Photo, which, let me be honest with you for a minute here. But One Hour Photo, this movie will creep you out, especially with the performance that Robin Williams actually gives because of the fact it's about this guy who's works on a one hour photo photo and if you don't know what a one hour studio is this was when when before the age of digital cameras and all that stuff was coming in we actually had to give a roll of film to this person to actually fill to get to give to him so that way he can go on ahead and develop the pictures for you and this guy this family takes the pictures over to robin williams they've been he's been doing this for years with them and everything doing their pictures, their family pictures, and things like that, and developing them. But they have no clue at the creepiness that he actually has with this whole entire movie. And what I mean by the creepiness is he actually takes one of their prints and slides it into his pants pocket. Then he does some other type of stockish type of things to this family. It's just mind-blowing at the level of creepiness that Robin Williams actually played on that character. Because even right now, me talking about the character, I actually have goosebumps right now talking about him because of how creepy he did, how much of a thriller this movie was. Some people said this might be his weakest film, but I thought this was a really good film for what he did, for being a creeper, for being uh, uh, this movie being a thriller. And I haven't seen Insomnia or anything like that, because back that came out in 2002, but that's definitely on my list to see, so I can actually compare the two performances, 
but every performance is not the same when you look at a Robin Williams movie. But when you look at One Hour Photo and you watch that movie and you realize this guy needs to be stopped. This guy needs to die. This guy needs to be locked up. There's just something wrong with this person. And you realize that, you know, there's not going to be any stopping him anytime soon if somebody doesn't do something. And I really have to say, Robin Williams gave his all in this movie. This movie is really creepy. It's a great thriller. I strongly recommend this movie for anybody that is into suspense movies and thriller movies. And now I'm moving into my number 10. And that movie is Mrs. Delphire. So, Mrs. Delphire is about this guy named Daniel. Daniel is wanting, is getting a divorce by his wife, and she tells him that he, tells him that she wants a divorce. So, you know, she takes him to court, and basically the judge says that he doesn't have any vegetation rights or anything like that, and he goes above and beyond to try and spend time with his kids. A lot longer than what he wants to spend time with them for. Like, he can only spend time with them for so many hours, and even that is not even enough for him. Because as a father, and I'm not a father, but as as a father and everything, you want to spend time with your kids a lot longer than an hour or two. You want to be able to spend maybe every single day with them, even with someone that's actually a divorce, a very good father. And, you know, it's just not enough. So he decides to, once he finds out that his wife is actually uh, wanting to hire a nanny, he winds up applying for the position as the nanny, as Mrs. Dalfire. He does a fantastic job of playing the Scottish role. And then also, too, this caseworker comes in to his house, into Daniel's house. And what I love about that is the fact that she goes, oh, you have someone staying with? Oh, it's just my sister. And he has to go back and forth between talking like Mrs. Delphire, then having to go over there and change into Mrs. Delphire clothes, then go back and change into Daniel's clothes, and then do the whole entire bit with this whole entire social worker to figure out if he's actually capable, actually, of holding a job down and cleaning up after himself in this in the new apartment that he actually has. And then you also have some other... Uh, then you also have him working at for this movie studio and basically all he's doing is sending out reels and shipping them out and that's all he's doing and and then you wind up seeing that he's actually might have a chance to do something more than just do that doing that and then Pierce Brosman comes in as the new boyfriend and he winds up getting jealous of Pierce Brosman and everything and then you also have the little girl in there, and whenever he cusses in front of her, she basically does the same thing that he does, because little kids pick up on things that adults do, and you know what, this is so much more than just a guy that dresses up in, in drag or anything like that, it's about a relationship with your kids, it's about what people go through to, 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 uh, in divorce and how divorce actually hurts you and about the levels of what parents will do for their kids and about wanting to spend time with their kids. And that's the level 
that Robin Williams actually went through. He went above and beyond to try and be there with, for his kids, no matter what the obstacles was. And that's what I love about this film. It has so much heart in the comedy. And, and you know, the, the stuff that he actually does is all improv, probably. But the movie is hilarious. It's fantastically well done, perfectly well executed. It's perfect in as perfect condition as you can get as a comedy. And I really wish that Robin Williams was still around today. And yes, there is going to be Mrs. Delf, the Mrs. Delfire uh, Broadway play, but nothing compares to Robin Williams's performance and what he's done with his whole entire acting career. Robin Williams is one of the best comedic actors that was working during the time, the time, and he cannot be touched. Anything that he does, anything that he did during that those times in the 70s and through the 90s even through the 2000s cannot be touched cannot be mastered but if they were to do a remake or anything like that i i wouldn't want to see it to be honest with you unless they decide hey you know what i'm gonna make a certain character my own rather than rely on what robert williams has done just like what they did with the latin live action aladdin movie but it just depends on the roles or whatever but Mrs. Delphire is one of those classic films that I just don't want to see remade or retold in any kind of way. It's perfect in its pristine condition. I love the part on the bus where uh, where Robin Williams has 